0: Chapter Nineteen of Vagabonding Down the Andes by Harry A. Frank. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Blaine Jushaw, Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. On Foot Across Tropical Bolivia. Part One There are three such railroads running out of Cochabamba, though none of them venture more than a few miles all were brought up piecemeal on muleback or on massive two-wheeled carts like the first steamers on titicaca for it is what the natives call a mediterranean town one is a steam line with a single toy locomotive which starts every hour from the central plaza for the suburb of Calacala, noted for its baths splitting the ears with its infantile shriek and spitting hot cinders upon all the bench holders in the vicinity the cochabambino assured me that i could not believe it possible this enormous locomotive had been brought from germany on muleback but as he had never been further out of town than its three little lines could carry him his conception of locomotives was somewhat atrophied this one was so childlike that once when it suddenly started up as i was crossing the street i unconsciously put out a hand to thrust it back until i had passed Cochabamba, sixty thousand inhabitants by its own count the majority of whom have never left its suburbs is conceded to be the second city of bolivia and considers itself the first after this south american fashion it is constantly quarrelling with la paz as to which shall furnish the country its president a truce being usually patched up by alternating the honor the population of bolivia is made up of just such heterogeneous groups among which there exists a profound aversion the rivalry is particularly tenacious between the Koyas, those chiefly of the aymara race inhabiting the Coyao or northern portion of the country bordering on titicaca and the south of the republic containing a large proportion of quichua blood and partaking of many of the characteristics of that timid dreamy race like the quichua in general the cochabambino is wedded to his native soil with an irascible affection for it partly because isolation keeps its customs largely unchanged. The tongue of the Incas is still the chief one of the lower classes. The town's name, indeed, is derived from quichua, words cocha, lake, and Pampa plain, which the conquistadors, as usual, corrupted by pronouncing it as if they had a cold in the head. There is little question but that the surrounding valley was once a lake bottom. Founded in 1574, the place was christened by a high-sounding Spanish name, which, as so often happened in South America, failed to stick. It has a restful summer resort air, with birds singing in its shaded alamedas, reminding one faintly of Granada, with its sand and cactus and half-arid soil requiring irrigation. The little river Cocha wanders by the north and east sides of the town on its way to join the Mamore the surrounding hills are less brown than the alta Planacia, half-clothed with trees and with patches of green running up the sides of the range the showers were no highland drizzles but perfect sheets of water for an hour or more fine prospects for my continued travels at the end of wheel-going yet it is a colorless place compared to la paz adobe is the chief building material there is no structure of great importance though la campagna of the early jesuits has the usual ornate facade its houses are of the light yellow mud of the surrounding plain less painted than those of the capital, and even the tile roofs are of so dull and dusty a red as scarcely to excite the eye on a barren knoll at the back of town is a ruined adobe bullring, once large and ornate and still higher up before the monument to the heroes of cochabamba the gaze stretches away across a yellowish land flat as a sea baking in the blazing sunshine costumes too show far less color than those of la paz la chola wears a similar hat but it is flatter and therefore uglier and she has neither the immaculateness instinct for pleasing color combinations nor the sprightliness of her amara cousin Natives of pure Caucasian blood are so rare as to be almost conspicuous. Important commerce is largely in the hands of Germans. Even the English vice-consul was a Teuton. The municipal library bore a large sign announcing that it was open from 9 to eleven, one to 4, and 7 to 9. At 9.30, the doddering old librarian appeared, and at 10.05, when he had finished reading the morning paper and smoking his cigarette, he put on his hat and remarked, nos vamos señores and go we did sure enough in the afternoon and evening he did not reappear cochabamba has been called the paradise of priests fat coarse-featured men of the cloth swarm and the town is rated the most fanatical in bolivia as late as ten years ago a hoguera was lighted in the central plaza to carry out an auto defi against a protestant who had dared to preach his doctrines in a private house the materials for the inquisitorial bonfire being the holy books and furniture of the evangelist the troops were called upon to interfere and prevented the consummation of the act but they were not able to keep the heretics from being cruelly stoned by the populace the approach of the railway however the arrival of many gringos and a now firmly established mission school with a government subsidy is wearing down somewhat this medieval point of view in a corner of the main plaza of cochabamba where the sunshine streaks upon it through the trees was the gringo bench a rendezvous at which there was always to be found at least an american and an odd englishman or two generally miners and even more generally penniless for bolivia had proved less golden than the rumors had oozed forth from her interior and there is no better climate than that of cochabamba in which to sit waiting for whatever chooses to turn up next at the time of my arrival the bench had three principal occupants the most permanent fixture was old man simpson over eighty not merely a fellow-countryman but originally from the same town in which i had spent my youth indeed he was still a subscriber to the weekly newspaper i had earned more than one school-day dollar folding and carrying a forty-niner who had drifted from california to chile he had been in south america unbrokenly though frequently broke many more years than i had been on earth his fortunes rising and falling with miner's luck and open-handedness, his Spanish still atrocious. Now he was so nearly blind that he could recognize us one from another only by our voices, and every day he sat from sunrise to dusk, except for his breakfast and siesta from eleven to one, in the shaded corner of the plaza, a cud of cocoa leaves in one cheek, his gnarled and leathery hands folded on the head of his tonta cane, all day long he would weave endless tales of the prospector's life wandering disconnectedly over all the western side of the continent as long as he could get a single gringo to sit and listen when he could not and was or fancied himself alone he sat hour after hour motionless murmuring each time the clock in the tower above struck well it's blank o'clock and relapsing again into silence after simpson came Sampson. An extraordinary cockney resourceful quick-witted full of quaint sayings of a strikingly personal philosophy of life so much of a hustler that his initiative often boiled over into audacity he spoke fluently a colloquial spanish and considerable quichua chewed coca incessantly and came close to being the ugliest man i had ever set eyes upon this last-mentioned quality was enhanced by the slapstick clown garb he wore faded overalls with a bib some remnants of shoes here and there about his ham-like feet a wooden neckcloth a la whitechapel and an indian felt hat on the back of his bullet head his view of life he summed up among friends briefly with i'm strictly honest i never take anything i can't reach as to his resourcefulness in this identical garb he had gained the entree into the haughtiest class of natives with whom outward appearances constitute some ninety-nine per cent and had talked his hypnotic way into the confidence of a lawyer and ex-senator of Cochabamba, to such an extent that the latter contemplated giving him charge of a large tract of land to plant with cotton. The third bencher, Tommy Cox, had been down inside with Samson on some prospecting scheme that had failed. Originally from Toronto, he was in appearance and speech a typical Englishman. A little sandy-haired fellow of twenty-five, the antithesis of his companion in initiative of so dim a personality compared to samson that one barely noted his existence when the two were together when i arrived in cochabamba nothing was more certain than that i should continue my tramp down the andes through sucre and potosi into the argentine but plans do not keep well in so warm a climate i sat one day musing on the trip ahead of me when samson cut in Ere, if you're looking for something new why don't you shoot across the country by santa cruz to the paraguay river and down to ascension and b a at least i don't think it's ever been done by a white man alone and afoot the idea sprouted i suddenly discovered that i was weary of high altitudes and treeless punas of the drear sameness of the Andes and the constant repetition of the serranos that inhabit them to that moment I had, like most of the world, conceived of Bolivia as a lofty plateau, arid and cold, whereas more than half of it is a vast, tropical lowland, spreading away from the slopes of the Andes to the borders of Brazil, Paraguay, and Argentina, making it the third largest country of South America. There was, it seemed, a fourth way of entering or leaving this Mediterranean land, and it was neither by way of Moyundo, Arica, or Antofagasta, but a route all but unknown to the world at large yet followed by many of its imports and exports the montaña or Yungas promised a new type of people a new style of life a knowledge of south america that would be only half complete without including in my itinerary the immense hot lands and river-webbed wilderness stretching eastward from the andes i wished some day to visit paraguay anyway the distance to puerto suarez was evidently greater than to railhead in the argentine by striking an average of varying information with the assistance of such maps as the local librarian gave me time to glance over i came to the conclusion that it was roughly eight hundred miles but on the other hand much of this new route was floor-flat and i'd had my fill of climbing over such labyrinths of mountain ranges as lay to the south True, in this season the region to the east would be wet and muddy, but with no bitter cold nights in prospect I could throw away much of my load, and at least there would be brilliant sunshine most of the time, which is half of life. Besides, is not the chief joy of travel the privilege of suddenly and unexpectedly smashing fixed plans to replace them with something hitherto undreamed? To all these arguments there was added another, still more potent, when I began to make inquiries, I learned that the proposed trip was impossible. Several of my informants quoted recently received letters to prove it. The last hundred leagues would be entirely under water. The wild Indians of Monte Grande would see to it that I should not get so far, to say nothing of miles of chest-deep mudholes, tigers, and swarms of even more savage insects, and many days without food or human habitation. That settled it. In Bogota, the tramp down the Andes had been impossible, but had long since lost completely that charming quality. I decided to strike eastward, in quest of the Paraguay. "'I wouldn't mind tackling it myself,' sighed Tommy, when I mentioned my decision to the benchers. "'I'm badly needed in B.A., but I'm stony broke. Of course, if I could find anyone who'd take along a steam-trunk-sized man as excess baggage—' If a senator doesn't make up his wandering Bolivian mind soon, I'll quit embellishing this plaza myself, put in the cockney, though there was a glint in his eye that suggested long afterward that he had meant the hint as a hoax, and considered the trip as impossible, as did the rest of Cochabamba. Were I to have a companion, I should not have chosen Samson. He was a man with far too much mind of his own to be good company in an uncivilized wilderness. Tommy, diffident unresourceful, totally lacking in initiative, without self-confidence, wholly innocent of Spanish, to all appearance tractable and harmless, was much to be preferred. Moreover, he was better looking. Though I was thinly furnished with Bolivianos and the nearest possible source of supply was Buenos Aires, I concluded that the code of world-wanderers forbade me to leave Tommy to waste away on the gringo bench, and we joined forces." He was to carry his proportionate share of the baggage, as I could not throw away, including the tin kitchenette and the bottle of 40% alcohol that went with it, if experience proved that I could trust him with that, leaving me, thanks also to the offer of a fellow countryman to carry the developing tanks to Santa Cruz on his cargo mule, only a moderate load. I should have bought a donkey or other Chusco, rather than turn ourselves into pack animals, but for two reasons first such a purchase would have relieved me of most of the billetes i had left secondly the fate of cleopatra and chusquito caused me to doubt whether any four-footed animal could endure the journey it was two months from the day i had walked into cuzco that one of cochabamba's toy trains carried us past adobe towns and mud fences with dome-shaped huts that gave the scene an oriental touch and set us down in punata in time for dinner in the picanteria where tommy had once before washed down a similar plate of stringy roast pork with a glass of chicha then we swung on our packs and struck eastward into the unknown beyond arani next morning came the real parting of the ways the trail that swung to the right along the base of the hills went on to sucre and the silver mountain that by which we zigzagged up the face of a stony range led across the continent here the mountains closed in and the vast fertile yet dreary and desolate plain of Cochabamba, that had seemed to stretch out interminably in the bright sunshine disappeared at length below a swell of land and was lost forever behind us for a week the going was not unlike that down the andes though it grew gradually lower as the endless ridges of the eastern slope calmed down slowly like the waves of some tempestuous sea it was only on the road that I began to really make the acquaintance of Tommy. In spite of his Canadian birth, he dressed like a Liverpool dock laborer, with a heavy cap, a kerchief about his neck, and a heavy winter vest, that is, whistick, which he could not be induced to shed, however hot the climate, though he readily enough removed his coat. He spoke with a strong English accent, and a man following behind with a basket, could have picked up enough h's to have started a supply store of those scarce articles in whitechapel itself he had given cochabamba ample opportunity to show its gratitude at his departure but the fourteen bolivianos of his last elemucionary gleanings turned out to be barely sufficient to keep him in cigarettes on the journey his share of the load he carried in the half of a hectic tablecloth of mysterious origin tied across his chest as an indian woman carries her latest offspring his own possessions consisted wholly and exclusively of a large sharp-pointed proudly scoured trowel for tommy was by profession a bricklayer and a mason this general convenience weapon sign of caste and hope of better days to come he wore through the band of his trousers as the bolivian peon carries his long-knife and the services it performed were unlimited i was never nearer throwing my kodak into a mud-hole than when it failed to catch tommy solemnly eating soft-boiled eggs with the point of his faithful trowel the hospitality of the bolivian soon proved low even in comparison with the rest of the andes and every meal and lodging cost us a struggle at Pacona, for example i ended a thirty-six mile walk down the nose of a range on which a coach-road descended by never-ending s's into a narrow valley bottom below tommy had fallen behind and i had begun to wonder whether he could endure the pace our scantiness of funds made necessary as i debouched into the grass-grown plaza i paused to ask a dim-minded person drowsing before one of the doors where one could find a night's lodging he silently projected his lips toward a building before which stood an empty stagecoach. There, a group of supercilious, unwashed cholos of varying stages of insobriety informed me with an air that plainly said, We are purposely deceiving you. First, that there was no tambo in town, then, that there was an accommodation only for travelers a bestia. For horsemen only, eh? I cried in the voice natural to an all day fast. Where does the corregidor live? What are gobernadores in Peru become corregidores in Bolivia? Down the street, mouthed a half drunken fellow, with a lazy toss of the head in no particular direction. I snatched a youth out of the group and pushed him before me. Some way down the foot torturing cobbles, he halted at the open door of the usual slatternly earth floored room, saying, The corregidor lives here. Go in and fetch him i answered blocking his attempt to retreat he called out two or three times in the sing-song with which neighbors greet neighbors in the andes then obeyed my order to enter and summon the authority at least he disappeared inside the building some time later two chola girls appeared at the door to ask in pretended surprise what i desired where is the corregidor? he's in the country he doesn't live here they replied respectively in one breath betraying themselves by their carelessness in not rehearsing the reply before appearing. "'Where's the broy who brought me here?' "'Escapado,' he escaped through the back door. "'I had long ago learned this trick of local authorities in Andean villages of hiding away at the approach of a stranger bearing orders from the government and the complicity of all the population in the concealment. But I had learned also one means of bringing him to light.' i marched into the house and throwing my pack on an adobe divan covered with blankets announced that i should sleep there the cholas would call the corregidor at once they had called him they couldn't call him he was coming in a minute he did not live in town a dozen other falsehoods poured in a chaotic flood from their lips for an hour i held to the divan but as evening settled down it became evident that the ruse of peru would not work in bolivia that though i might sleep there by force i should remain thirsty and hungry i shouldered my bundle and hobbled back to the plaza there ten centavos spent for chicha convinced the skeptical inhabitants that i was not penniless and in time it paved the way to a request for food como no came the mechanical answer and a long time after dark a big bowl of broth lukewarm of temperature but sizzling hot with aji was followed by some hashed black chuno or frozen potatoes mixed with an egg and some bran-like bread how much do i owe i asked when finished pues uh, será setenta centavos este bien and who's going to sleep on those beds i continued pointing to the long adobe divans each with a roll of thin mattress and blankets at either end of the room nadie no one how much do you charge for a bed un boliviano no mas replied the chola in that droning soothing voice in which the andean always names an exorbitant price which he knows the traveler cannot refuse to pay voy a tender no? yes spread it out i was stripping to crawl into the star bed of the tombo in which only horsemen are accommodated when there sounded at the door i had fastened a jar with a bench the worn and humble voice of tommy Having fallen behind because of a half-sprained ankle, he had stumbled on into town down that stony, looping descent which I had found bad enough even by day. Fortunately, there was a bit of cold broth and some chuño left, after devouring which he turned in on the other divan. Next day we passed a wind-blown, rain-gashed plain, with a few huts on which to practice my neglected quichua, and early in the afternoon reached Totora so named from the long rush which grows in swampy ground. It is the largest town between Cochabamba and Santa Cruz, and capital of a province with several thousand inhabitants. Set in a hollow of the treeless hills, it was dreary and colorless as a mining town, with breakneck cobbled streets, and a little tile-paved plaza surrounded by what Tommy called draper shops, all with the self-same display of bayeta and other crude cloths the vista of many a street was enlivened by swinging red signs like japanese or chinese banners above the doors where chicha was for sale far better and almost given away in colombia this native drink had come to cost twice what a larger glass of beer would in the united states in the upper corner of the plaza we spread ourselves at ease on a shaded bench around the pila in the center of the square a constant crowd carrying earthen jars fought for the two trickles of water. Behind us stood what dared to call itself the Hotel Union, consisting of a billiard-table and an absent proprietor, who, according to the disinterested Cholas, might be back during the evening to discuss with us our offer to spend the night with him. The neighboring Tombo was closed because of a wedding in the family, so rare a ceremony in Bolivia that we had not the heart to complain tommy tired of sitting and went to lie down in frank hobo fashion in the plaza bandstand as dusk came on we made a round of the shops warned that there would be none for some days ahead we bought eggs and blocks of crude sugar now called empanada cocoa to chew when thirsty several loaves of the bran-like bread that weighed us down like grindstones and some shelled peanuts which we found next day to be unroasted any chip of stone or scrap of iron served as weights in the shops though some had brass cups full of shot over which a paper was pasted by the rare government inspector soon to break itself until he came again that purchaser who got twelve ounces to his pound was lucky as the one whose vara came anywhere near being a yard long a half-pound weight was commonly the heaviest on hand and the old woman who sold us sugar poured that amount in with the weight on the other side of the scales and so on until she had made up the unprecedented quantity we demanded a telegraph wire strode bandy-legged over the hills with us on the twenty broken and panting miles to duraznillo across the flanking valley the range was mottled with all colors from deep red to nile green the depths of its gullies purple under dense cloud shadows while the rest of the world lay in brilliant sunshine, and vast banks of snowy white clouds took on fantastic shapes which the imagination could animate into all manner of strange things, or people with innumerable plots and fairy tales. One mighty descent brought us to a river, but at the very moment we reached it, it turned suddenly muddy from rains somewhere in the hills above, and spoiled our plans for a bathe, as Tommy expressed it. In the dry, burning hills beyond, my companion went astray, but found himself again by following my hobnailed footsteps. He had so little initiative that he would not lead the way, and his favorite plan of plodding at my very heels having been vetoed, as he did not mix well with the landscape. He commonly trailed half a mile behind, usually taking care not to lose sight of me. Duraznillo had a public rest house that had once been an adobe chapel, but which was now as bare as a millionaire's room in heaven i boiled oatmeal and eggs in the water tommy brought from a stagnant pool not far away but waited in vain for the return of the only european-clad resident who had volunteered to arrange us as the shades of night spread the beaten mud floor looked harder and harder and in nosing about we were astonished to discover several once-imported mattresses covering a pile of adobe bricks in the back corridor of the chief house of the village, apparently uninhabited. Still, it was possible that the local authority would in time come out of hiding, and we lolled patiently, if road-weary, in the moonlight. We had waited until, well, perhaps eight, though without a watch, it seemed hours later, when patience ceased to be a virtue and we slipped through a hole in the mud fence each to embrace a mattress it may be that a trap had been set for us as we approached the wall again an unusually large half-indian wrapped in a poncho loomed on the other side and shouted in an authoritative voice what are you doing inside that fence now i do not like any man to address me in that tone least of all a south american indian it's neither good training for his own primitive character nor advantageous to future gringo travelers. "'Speaking to me, Indio?' I demanded. "'I am Corregidor of Duraznillo, also guardian of this house.' "'Corregidor, then you're the very fellow we've been looking for these last four hours. You will kindly lend us two mattresses to sleep on.' "'I will not lend you one mattress to sleep on. What are you doing?' Plainly, he was of Aymara, rather than Meek Quichua blood. "'And where have you been hiding yourself, Signor Corregidor? We have a letter for you from the government.' "'Ugh!' he snorted, with an effort at sarcasm. "'Let's see that letter from the government.' "'It's in my pack in the chapel. Bring it over here. Since when have caballeros run after Indians to show them government orders?' "'Are you going to lend us two mattresses?' "'Not one.' "'Tommy, chuck them over.' He did so with trembling hands, for something had given the diminutive bricklayer an extraordinary respect for authorities. The corregidor followed at our heels, bellowing, as we carried our finds into the ex-chapel and spread them out. A stocky youth and a woman with a flickering candle appeared behind him in the doorway, and the Indian demanded my papers. "'Can you read?' I asked. "'I can,' he snarled. Which he could.' to the extent of spelling out the order at about a line a minute. Ben, he admitted at last in a surly voice, but you're to ask for things, not take them. From a corregidor who hides himself? And the prefect orders that you be furnished what you need at a just price, he added triumphantly, ignoring my reply. Exactly. Then you will pay two Bolivianos for each mattress. Very well, but you will first make out a receipt for that amount, that I may send it back to the prefect. It was not the first time I had played this unfailing card against an Andean authority attempting extortion. He knew he was beaten, for though he could read, after a Bolivian fashion, he probably could not write, and certainly would not dare to let such a document reach the prefect. Like a true Latin American, however, he saved his face as long as possible. Very well. Give me some paper to write it on. As corregidor, you should furnish your own paper. I have none well you may use one mattress but not two he growled you lose in my country we are not accustomed to sleep two on the same mattress a shiver of rage seemed to pass over him while his castilian pride struggled for expression behind his mask of indian features then he faded away into the night and was heard no more though i was not so certain of him as not to prop a heavy wooden beam against the door in such a way that an attempt to sneak in upon us during the night would quite likely have been followed in the morning by the intruder's funeral never-ending spiral descents so steep we had to set the brakes constantly making our thighs ache brought us at last to a hot and stony river-bed across which a lukewarm knee-deep river snaked its way incessantly we stuffed leggings and fuslappen into our bundles and walked all the rest of the day barefoot in our unlaced boots, crossing the stream perhaps a hundred times and envying the hoof soled natives as often as we paused to pull on our footwear. Tommy found it too much trouble to roll down his trousers after each crossing and complained of sunburned legs for days to come. But at least the going was level. The stillness and the lack of population recalled Jain in the far north of Peru. For hours we tramped stonily between ever-lower cactus-grown hills, only the mournful note of the jungle dove breaking the silence. The first gnats and giant-jawed insects we were doomed to endure more and more as we advanced to the eastward began to annoy us. As scrub trees thickened, bird life grew more prevalent. Bands of parakeets screamed by, as always along these dry, tropical river beds. Now and then a parrot or two, forerunners of many to come, passed overhead. The rare huts, squanting in scant patches of shade, were now of mere openwork poles. To sleep in them was far less inviting than to lie on the ground under a shrub. End of On Foot Across Tropical Bolivia, Part 1